Before God made anything, he knew everything. God never figured anything out. It wasn't that he learned something as he was going along. And it certainly wasn't when he made man and man sinned that God gasped and he said, oh my, what am I going to do? But the Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain. Now, I don't understand the mind of God, and I don't believe any of you do. I don't believe there's anybody in this room where God said, hey, do you got some time this week so I can get some counsel from you? I don't think he ever did that. I think God knows everything. I think God is absolutely omniscient. He knows everything before there is to know it. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything that's going on in his universe. Nothing is surprising him. Nothing is catching him off guard. Satan is no threat to him. So I don't understand the ways of God. I just rejoice in the fact that one day I'll step on the other side of this tapestry that looks so confusing to me right now. And I'll see the beautiful picture that God has put together. And I'll be absolutely stunned at the wisdom of God and the beauty of God. And as a matter of fact, and the Bible teaches us this, it shows us this, not in heaven, earth, or hell, Will anybody lift their voice or their finger of accusation and say that God did something wrong? But as a matter of fact, every voice in heaven, earth, and hell is going to declare Jesus Lord to the glory of God. They're going to, they're going to understand how magnificent he is and how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is. And so in the midst of this world where we're living on the backside of this tapestry, if you will, we see the confusion and the knots and the colors that don't seem to make sense. And we wonder sometimes where we are. And, and in, and in the, the ravel of all of this, we're wondering, God, how does this makes sense for my life and where are you in the midst of all of this and I don't understand what you're doing with me but if you will have faith that will endure and you will not give your confidence up and you will walk and believe in Jesus Christ because he gives you an abundance of mercy and goodness here while you live one day you're going to step on the other side of that and you're going to look back on it and you're going to say oh God this is altogether beautiful and Lord, your wisdom is amazing, what you have brought together. And I'm so excited to go into eternity with you because you are the omniscient God, the omnipotent one. You are the God that is everywhere at all times. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I get to be your child. I get to be a part of your kingdom. I get to walk with you and look at you. And I get to see your face, God. And I get to rule and reign with you. And you've made me a king and priest. God, how magnificent, just the blessings keep coming and they keep coming. And sometimes, if not all the time, we have to constantly preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of that. As Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 3, set your affection on things above. Because your life is not here. Your life is hid with God in Christ and you have to set it there. And I find myself doing that a lot. I don't know if you do, but I get tempted a lot and I, I, I fail a lot and I, I give in to my flesh. I give in to things that I know that are more based than the things that God wants me to do. And I'm constantly having to set my affection on the things above, set it upon Jesus Christ, set it upon that kingdom, set it upon the coming of the Lord, because they that have this hope purify themselves even as he is pure. And I do want to see Jesus and I can't wait to see Jesus and I want to run this race and I want to be able to do everything in his power that he has given me to do before he returns, you know, and and so we just we just do whatever he's put before us to do in the power of his grace, which is the power of his spirit. And when man fell, it didn't surprise God. 
It didn't surprise him at all. And don't ask me to explain that or why these these why questions. I don't know them yet. But I just trust the God who did it. And really, where else are you going to go? Because there is no other God. And you're certainly not the one. And so when man fell, God came into that garden and into that crisis. And he gave man a beautiful hope. And God spoke to the man about deliverance. And God spoke to the man about life and reconciliation. And God demonstrated what that was going to take. Because God had to kill an animal. And God slew an animal and he took the skins of that animal and he covered the man and the woman. And God made a declaration to the man and the woman and to Satan. And the declaration that he made to Satan was this. When he comes... You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And Jesus will come in power. And little would anybody recognize that the baby born in a manger had come in such power. And he would demonstrate that power as his life would go on. And he told the woman that your seed, your seed, there's going to be a virgin that gives birth one day. And that is going to be the son of God who is going to be the savior of the world. And he's not going to have any sin in him. And he's never going to sin. He's not going to think a foolish thought. He's not going to think a wrong thought. His thoughts will never disagree with his father's thoughts in heaven. He's going to be absolutely perfect. And he's going to be tested. And he's going to be tried in every way. And he's going to be perfect. And so God in his desire to bring his son into the world. Because God knew before he ever made the world that man was going to fall. And Jesus was going to come. He knew it. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He knew it. And I, 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 I can't get my mind around that. But I do know that the Bible tells me that it has to do with the manifestation of God's love. And I also know that it has to do that the Son of God would have a bride. And because that's what marriage represents. A relationship that God would have with his church. And so I think that is beautiful in itself. And so after God comes in the garden and gives man this assurance that I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to send my son and he is going to deliver you from the oppression of Satan and he's going to deliver you from your sins and he's going to cover you with himself and with his blood. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to reconcile you to me. I believe an excitement was in God. I believe there was something that was stirring in him that God really was anticipating a moment that he would one day be able to get to. And I believe that God began to give types and shadows of this offering of his son that was going to come into the world. Whether it was the Passover lamb in Egypt or whether it was all of the multitude of sacrifices and blood that was shed through the ceremonial offerings of the priesthood in Israel. God was constantly foretelling he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And then God would speak through certain people and certain prophets that would make a declaration for all of humanity just because and, and the probability being so that most people going through all of these rituals missed the point and they weren't understanding it. So God would raise up and put into the heart of somebody like David who would make a declaration and it would be echo throughout all of the world. God, if it were sacrifices that you wanted and burnt offerings that you wanted, I would bring you thousands of them. 
But there's something more than you want than these. And David would even record that not one of the blood, any of the blood of these lambs or these bulls can take our sins away. Oh God, you wash me and I'll be white. You wash me, God. You forgive me, God, and I will be clean. And blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. But he imputes, and David would make these declarations so that we would stay on track and we would be able to understand, don't put your faith in the lambs. Don't put your faith in the bulls. Don't put your faith in Israel's Levitical priesthood because one is coming, one is coming, one is coming. And he won't come from the Levites. He's going to come from God. He's going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's going to be holy and he's going to be set apart. He's a root out of dry ground. He's absolutely unique. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And God wanted us to know. And I, and I think, you know, when I read the book of Isaiah, and I read, because honestly, there, there's a chapter in Isaiah that I think most of us would agree it is probably one of the most phenomenal declarations of the Messiah that any of us have ever read in the Old Testament. And what is that chapter? 53? Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, the one who would bear our iniquities and our sins and our, the, 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 our chastisement would be upon him. And, and I could only imagine the anticipation of God as he would be able to speak this to Isaiah and Isaiah would write it and put it on the print of God's word of this coming redemption and the suffering and the agony that this Messiah is going to go through. And God, it's like the building up to that chapter of Isaiah 53. And as God is building up to that chapter, God begins to address Israel. Even around Isaiah chapter 40, God makes declarations to them. And God would begin to say, don't trust in the false gods. Don't trust in the idols. Look at those gods. They have no ability. They have no power to save. When you pray, they don't answer you. You have to carry them from one place to the next. But Israel, I have carried you. I am your redeemer. I am your God and the Holy One of Israel is your Savior. Oh, Israel, trust in me and put your hope in me. But Israel, like us, all too often would look at the other side of this tapestry and see all of the confusion and all of the knots and everything that is going on and not be able to make sense of it. And and Zion would cry out like this, God has forgotten me. I am forsaken of God. God would respond, oh, Zan, how could I forget you? You're graven on the palms of my hands. I am constantly watching out for you and watching over you. I have never abandoned you or forsake you. Even when I put you aside because of your rebellions, I never leave you to the mercy of your enemies. You are always before me, Israel. How can you say that I would forget you or I would forsake you? And God's heart goes out to them because they really believed it. And God would say, can a mother who is nursing her own son on her breast, could she forget her baby? But even if she could, I could never forget you. Why are you afraid, O Israel? Put your hope in me and put your trust in me. For it is I who will comfort you. I will come to you. God is building up to Isaiah 53 where he will be able to make these incredible declarations. 
and portrayal of his son's suffering. God, as he draws ever near to Isaiah 53, he would begin to celebrate the advent of that chapter. And God would celebrate it with things such as this. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Who declares good news about good. Wow. It's just going to be good. Who publishes salvation and peace. And who declares thy God reigns. Sin does not reign. Opioids do not reign. Addictions do not reign. Satan does not reign. Your confusion does not reign. Your depression does not reign. Your molestation does not reign over you. Your abuse does not reign. The Lord God reigns. He reigns. For I know what's been done to you. I know the abuses that you've been through. I know your desire and your tendency to lay the fall to the blame upon other things. But you walked into these pits. You walked into these slime holes. You walked into these treacherous dangers. You walked in there. But I want you to know as I publish good news of good, I reign. I bring you out of your abuse. I bring you out of your depression. I bring you from the wounds of your molestation. I am the God that healeth thee. Blessed on the mountains of the feet of him that brings good news of good. For that's what my coming one is going to do. He will bring that to you. Behold my servant. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Many. Will be amazed at his visage. For his form will be marred more than the form of any other man. And there was no beauty in him. That we should desire him. And we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We esteemed him stricken. And we esteemed him not. We turned our faces from him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way. And God... Has laid the iniquity of us all on him. He was afflicted and oppressed. And he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb before her shears is dumb. And like a lamb led to the slaughter. So he opened not his mouth. But listen to this. It pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And that word pleased 
means delight. And this, my friend, is God's son. This, my friend, is the one and the long-awaited one that God has so anticipated his coming. Because there is going to be an event between God and his son that brings God great pleasure. And that pleasure is when I bruise my son. I crush him. And I make his soul an offering of sin. Because it's not the lambs and the bulls. But it's this lamb. Nobody can make this sacrifice but me. And it wasn't Jews and Romans in hell. But it was the father who put him into that bruising. And it was the father who made his soul an offering. I'm talking about God's son. You hear me. I'm talking about God's son. And he made his soul an offering for sin. And then it says, and the pleasure of the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord. He shall be satisfied. Because my righteous servant will justify many. In one death, I will deliver Many from all death. The just will pay for the unjust. And the debt that you and I could never pay, he will pay. And that's Isaiah 53. It changes destinies. It changes nations. It changes wounds. It changes depression. It changes sorrow to joy. This is the focal point of God's heart and the the climax of all history right here in the person of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53. And from Isaiah 53, God is able to make these incredible declarations. Come. Come. Come to me. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of man? No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. And whoever comes with accusations against you, I will silence them. If God be for you, who can be against you? He that spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely justify you? Who is he that condemns you? Any tongue that rises up against you in judgment, I will silence. The God of all the earth will silence. Come to me. Come to me. What more do I have to do? How much more love do I have to give? What more could I possibly give that would ever be greater than the beloved son of my heart that I gave and I bruised so you would come and you would know that I don't come to condemn you. Oh, this is my son, my one and only son in whom I love. And there's no other way for you but him. I had to do this for you. I had to crush him. And I had to bruise him. And I want you to come. That's why I did it. I want you to come. 
And what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall famine or pestilence or sword or nakedness? For it is written, we are slain all the day long. We're as lambs counted for the slaughter. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other created thing has the power to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 being coming a reality in one Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago outside of the gates of Jerusalem on a Roman cross. And he made it possible. And the spirit and the bride say come. And the celebrations that come out of Isaiah 53 are come. And I will be with you and no weapon formed against you will prosper. Come. Come. Oh, you that are thirsty, Come. Come, I will give you water freely. Come freely and drink from the waters of life. Come, 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 come. Come and buy milk. Come and buy wine without price. Come, why will you not come? Why will you go to the slime pits of this world with your broken clay jars and cisterns and try to scoop up just a little bit of life for the next day? Oh, come to me. Come to me and I will give you the wells of life. I will give you milk. I will nurture you. I will give you wine. I will give you joy. Come without price and buy it all. Come and reason with me, saith the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Oh, come, just come, just come. Come to me. Come to me. Just come to me. I will in no wise cast you out. If you will believe in me, I will give you the power to become sons and daughters of God. Just come to me. And then you come here in Isaiah 55. And those few verses that I just want to talk to you about, verses 6 through 7. And it says this, and I just love this, and I just feel constrained by the Lord to bring you this this morning because I believe there are Christians here that need this. And maybe there's lost people here that need this. And I believe there are Christians here that need this today through the words that have been spoken and even the songs that we've been singing. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. He wants you to come And he wants you to seek the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him while he may be found. We were in Nebraska. Administered Friday night at a men's meeting. Philip was with me. Where's Philip? He has something he's going to share today. Philip was with me in Nebraska and Keith Babin was with us. And we had a ministry to men. And then on the way home, one of the men was riding with us back home. And he was asking us about demonic influences. And he said to us in so many words that in my house at night, there's a demon that comes and lays on top of me, suffocating me, oppressive. 
Have y'all ever dealt with anything like this? And I said, sir, you have sin in your life that has opened the door to this demon and you must shut that door. And he agreed. He said, I know that this demon that comes to me is because of sin that I have and I've allowed. And we offered him the hope and the grace and the mercy of God, proclaiming himself to be a Christian. He was never at church in any of the meetings. He was not at one of the meetings. We had services twice on Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we never saw him again. And all I could think about was, here's this man. If, if, if I was in a traumatic situation with demonic powers, I would like to think that you could not keep me away from the people of God in the house of God. Especially if I am admitting to the fact that the reason this is happening to me is because of sin that I've allowed into my life. And I know exactly what it is. I think I would be bombarding God's altar. And I would be seeking the Lord while he may be found. And I would be pressing myself into him and I would have believers around me saying, pray with me. Let's take authority over this because this ends today. And I wonder about that with you. I want, the Bible says to seek the Lord while he may be found. And he can be found today. He's not hiding from you today. He's not far away. He's certainly not scared of your sin. I mean, the boldness of Jesus Christ coming into the world, fulfilling Isaiah 53 and being willing to be crushed by his father and bear the weight of sin and the and, and, and the, the corruptions and the sin of our life weighed upon. Him. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of where you are. He's not afraid of your darkness. He's not afraid to reach his hand. And there. As a matter of fact, he said in Isaiah, is my arm too short to reach you? Have I lost my power to deliver you? And the answer that God wants back is absolutely not. You can still save and you can still deliver and God wants to do that. And there are some of you in this room, you know, you come to church, but are you seeking the Lord? Church is not the answer. I mean, coming to church is not the answer. Being around Christians is not the answer, but seek the Lord. Seek the presence of the Lord. Beloved, that's why it's so important that we are a people that has the presence of God. God help us if we just become a church that goes to church. God help us if we just become a church that is more man-oriented than it is Christ-oriented. Or if we're just a church that relies upon our talents and our abilities. And we're not a people that are desperate for the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost. And the gifts of the Spirit of God to operate in our church. Where we can come before God and invite the presence of God. And God comes and the sick are healed. And the lost are saved. And those that sit in darkness are given light in order that they might be free. The presence of God. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Seek him. Don't just say, well, I went to church today and I said a prayer. Well, you're almost there. It's kind of what Paul said to one of the rulers. And he said, you almost convinced me to be a Christian. We almost got you there to the presence of God, but you went to church and you didn't go far enough. So have faith in Jesus Christ and seek the Lord while he may be found. And then it says, call upon him while he's near. Call, just cry. Isn't that wonderful? Just seek the Lord and call upon him. 
Just come into this service and seek God. It's kind of like David would say in Psalm 61, God, when I went into the sanctuary, I wanted to behold your power and your glory. That's what I was looking for. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see the power of God. My heart is set upon the Lord. Blessed is he. Oh, those people are so blessed that come. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. I was so glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. Why? It's not just because Christians are there and it's going to be a beautiful, but God is there and I'm going to seek him and I'm going to find him. Oh my God, every answer is there. And I say that about the church. You can seek God anywhere. You can seek him in your prayer closet. You know that you can seek the Lord at home, but the church is his house. It's his house and he lives in it. But you don't go to the house just to go to the house. You go to the house and say, where's the Lord of the house? I need to meet with him. So seek the Lord while he might be found and call upon him while he is near. And let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, turn to the Lord and he will have mercy upon you. And our God, he will abundantly pardon. And I just love that. God, I love that. You talk about salvation for people. He will abundantly pardon. You can see the stress on people's faces. Even now. You can see the discouragement in people's faces and in their hearts that runs deep into their spirits even now. And I'm talking to you Christians. And the word that God has brought to me this morning to bring to you is the Lord your God is near today. And the Lord your God wants to give you mercy and abundant pardon. Abundant pardon. I was stuck on the word wicked and the word unrighteous. I really wanted to know what that meant. And so this is what it means because oftentimes we give our own definitions and they're not really accurate to what it really is. And so if you look up the word wicked, it means a criminal. Someone who has broken the law, if you will. Someone who's guilty. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all criminals. Outside of Christ. We're all criminals. But then he says, and let the unrighteous man, if you will, forsake his thoughts. I thought that was interesting, his thoughts. The wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And the word unrighteous there, the unrighteous man, is that man who is steeped in shame. He or she is scared out of their minds that they're going to get caught. And you have no ground to stand on. Now there's a lot of wicked people. Who do not consider themselves unrighteous. They're not like that. They're not shamed. They're not scared. They're not worried. They have somehow justified themselves. I'm as good as you or I'm better than a lot of people. And I know a lot of those people in church and I'm better than them. So somehow they have given themselves a false sense of hope. And that's why Jesus would have to come and say that I have come for the unrighteous. I have come for those that are sick and they know they are. Those that are whole, they don't need a doctor. Everybody was sick, but they didn't know it. But there were those in Jesus' day who knew they were sick and they came to him and they were healed. Just because they came to him. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus never turned anyone down, anyone away. 
Every need that was brought to him, he answered it. I believe he still does that today. And so that word unrighteous is you don't have any ground to stand on. And you know it. You're here. You know it. You know you're guilty. You're a son of God and you know you're guilty. You're a daughter of God and you know you're guilty. I'm not here to condemn you. Neither is the Lord here to condemn you. But I believe with all of my heart that the desire of God is I want to give you mercy. And I want to abundantly pardon you. Abundantly. And that word abundantly means I want to super exceed what your need is. Isn't that great? So if you were to sit down with God and you have this great fear in your heart and you have this great guilt and you know that you're guilty and you have no ground to stand upon and you were to sit down with God and and you were to say, God, this is exactly what I need you to do today. God says, "Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go so far past it. So far past. I'm going to do so much more than what you're asking me to do because I abundantly pardon. And he loves you. And that's what and he can say this because of Isaiah 53. This is what he wants to do, abundantly pardon your life. Is there anything in you, is there the slightest thing in you this morning that says, I really need to get to Jesus with this? This is eating me up. This is more than I can bear. I hate what I am in private. I want to be real. Before God, whether I'm with people or whether I'm alone, I am so guilty. I am so wretched. And I'm tired of it. And Pastor Lee, what is the hope for me? Seek him. Because he can be found this morning. And call upon him because he's near. And you know what it says to the unrighteous? Forsake your thoughts. Think about this. Because this is what we do when we're unrighteous and we're guilty and we don't have a leg to stand on. We have no ground. We have no footing. This is what we typically do. Suicide. You think of a way to end your life? Because it would be better if you weren't here? Forsake that thought. Because it's not God's and it's not an answer. Forsake it. I'm going to hurt other people. I'm going to hurt other people and I'm going to study other people's lives and I'm going to get the dirt on them so that then when they find out the dirt on me, I'm going to let them have it too. I'm not going down by myself. Forsake that miserable thought. Forsake it. Depression. Forsake that thought. Disqualify yourself. It's God that qualified you. Forsake the thought that I am worthless and I'm good for nothing. And there is no way that God would ever be able to use me. Really? Ask Rahab. Ask Sarah. Ask Abraham. Ask Naomi. Ask Peter. If God can take people who lose their testimonies and still use them. And the answer is emphatically yes. Ask the prodigal as he runs home. Will my father receive me? Absolutely he will. Just run home and he will receive you. But you got to forsake your thoughts because your thoughts are keeping you from God. I don't need to go to the altar. Forsake that thought. It's not the altar you're seeking, right? It's God. What will people think about me? 
What does it matter? Anybody that thinks bad about you, they don't even know themselves. And they're probably worse off than you. But people that would see you go before God in a sincere desire that I want to be clean and I want to be holy and I want to be right with God, they would probably rejoice with you and love you because love covers a multitude of sin. There is freedom and there is wholeness in Jesus Christ. But you've got to forsake the thoughts. And you've got to seek the Lord. And God will give you mercy. And he will abundantly pardon you. And I know that there are many of us here this morning. That's what we need. We need Jesus' mercy. And he's not withholding it from you. Because of Isaiah 53. Because it became a reality in Jesus of Nazareth. Now God can say delightfully, because it's why he crushed his son, come, come to me. Don't you know I will be kind and merciful and abundantly pardon you? I will make it right. And what you've broken, I will fix. And what you've destroyed, I will create new. Just come. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want you to let this sink into your heart and in your spirit. I want to pray that you will have courage in the Holy Ghost to do what you need to do. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul and though Satan should buffet And trials, they'll come. Let this blessed assurance control. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And hath shed his own blood for my soul. Sing it with me. It is well. Let it be today. With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Sing it again. It is well, everyone. 
clean today. Behold today. Come. Come. He will in no wise cast you out. No wise cast you out. And when I think of God His Son not sparing. He sent Him to die. Scarce can take it in. That on the cross My burden gladly bearing He bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation, we're going home, and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, and then I shall bow in humbled adoration, and there proclaim, do you believe it, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. Do you believe He's great today? Do you believe He's mighty today? That He is worthy today? Oh, He loves you today. Just wants you to come. Just wants you to come. He's dealt with your sin. He's dealt with your iniquities. He just wants you to come. Oh, precious Jesus. I save your God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Just lift your hands to him this morning. Even in this altar, just lift your hands. Just praise Him. He's great. He's great. His arm is not too short to save you. He has the power to deliver you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Who is condemning you? Who is accusing you? God has justified you. Don't live under it. Don't be under the bondage of it. Don't be under the horror of it. Your thoughts need to change. Maybe your ways need to change. But come to His grace. God does it. God does it in His power and in his might and oh let us be worshipers right now let us just be worshipers please please beloved please I know God sent me here today for you I know that he sent me for you 
I see the stress. I see the anguish in your face and in your hearts, beloved. The path that you have been on. Oh, the brutality, the the abuse, the hardship that you have been walking through for years. But there's safety for you now. There's peace for you now. Just come. Just come and seek the Lord while he may be found. Just seek him. Call upon him while he's near. Just do it again. Just do it again. Just do it again and again and again and again. Just do it again. Seek Him again. Call upon Him again. Wherever you are, seek the Lord. Seek Him. Seek Him. Cry out to Him. And you go to the Father in the name of Jesus. You do not go to God with your works. You do not go to God on the basis of your worth or your merits. But you go to God because the value of the blood of Jesus Christ is so regarded by God. The sacrifice of His Son. It pleased the Father to crush Him and make His soul an offering for sin because He saw your salvation. He saw your freedom. He saw your life. He saw your peace. He saw your salvation. And He wants you to have that today. He wants you to have that today. Let's worship Him.